Um, I think on the on the flyer it says something like stories about cultural belonging and individual development in education. Um, but I've been working for about seven years as an art educator, and um, what I'm going to share with you today is basically the development of an idea that I've been thinking about for seven years. Um, and it's got a lot of different sort of parts that have kind of come together over that period of time, and some of them will be familiar to you, um, because a lot of you are in early childhood or in various related fields that share some of these ideas. Um, but hopefully I can tie them together in a way that's meaningful, and um, uh, I, I also hope it sort of gives a little bit of insight about how art education can be used um, uh, for... Well, I suppose everything. Yeah, yeah, but, well, at least a lot of things. So, I started out uh, working in nature education. Um, some of you might uh, have heard of that term before. Um, basically, working in bushland settings, uh, returning to the same bushland setting over a significant period of time with groups of kids and families, and basing all education around nature. That's where I sort of started. And um, one of the things that people in nature education are really interested in is nature connection. That's sort of one of the, the, the words that's always used. It's like, that's what we're doing here, you know, we're, we're connecting people with nature. Well, I guess the first thing I asked was like, well, what does that even mean? You know, like, what does it mean to be connected with nature? Because it's not immediately clear what that does mean. And so that was one of the first questions that I asked when I was in nature education, like, what does the nature connection mean? And there's been a lot of different studies about what it might mean. Um, but what I have come to understand it as is something that's more like a relationship than anything else. It's a relationship with nature. And nature being things in the field, basically, but in the context of nature education, it's, it's sort of things in an ecosystem, I suppose, is one way to think about it. And the nature of that relationship in nature connection is, like all relationships, it's a give and take. And the thing that's given is attention, basically. And the thing that's taken or received is information. So, a child who's experiencing connection, which is the right way to think about connection, it's something they experience, is paying attention and receiving information. And you kind of know when that's happening because they're not doing anything else. <laughs> right? And they're in what we call flow or something like that. People have different words for that, but it's like, you can see when they're interested and you can see when that exchange of attention and information is happening. And in nature education, that's like the magical moment. It's like, do not disturb that moment for anything, because something's happening that's important, right? And so that's kind of where it started. Now, as a facilitator with kids in the nature education context, one of the things that you have to ask yourself is like, okay, so connection is like being interested in things and being in relation to them, in relation to them, in relationship to them. So then the question arises, well, like, what should you be in relationship to in a given space? It's like, I'm the facilitator. Like, what should I show you? Or where should I take you? You know? How is it that you're going to create these relationships? Because that's not immediately clear. Now, there's a... There's an idea in education, and particularly in early childhood education, and at the time, I was getting interested in something that you've probably all heard of, which is like Reggio Emilia pedagogy, sorry. And that's the idea of education 
And I think this comes across in all of our work, and that is that it's, it's student-led. Like, you can make education student-led, right? Or you can make community development community-led. It's like, well, what does that mean? Like, what, what does that mean? And it means something like the things that you're interested in is determined by the interests of the people that you're working with. That's kind of what it means. So in the context of children, it's like, the things that you show the children are the things that they want to see. <laughs> you know, something like that. Right? You follow their interests. Okay. Well, that's good to know. So, now it was like, okay, so I kind of understand what connection is. Kind of understand that that connection has to be student-led. How the students, how the children, how people move through a space has to be led by their interests. The good thing is that children are kind of curious, naturally. So that helped because they have this kind of like magnet that's like just searching for this all the time. You know, they're basically looking for things to be interested in. So it's not, that, it's not really that difficult. But at the same time, they're also looking for things to eat, you know, and they still need a little bit of guidance in like what to eat. So it's not just like you can put a kid in a space and just let curiosity do the work. It just doesn't work like that. It's not as simple. It requires some kind of facilitation. So that's when I started thinking about, okay, if you have a space and that space is potentially infinitely interesting and you want someone to move around that space but you want them to follow their own compass of interest, how might you get them to do that? That's the question. How might you facilitate a group of individuals to follow their own interests? So you need a tool that they can use. And the tool that they use has to be something like a map. And it has to contain something like a story. Because that's the best way that you can get them to move around the space in a way that follows their own interest. Because you, stories can be bottom up, that's why. Okay, so this, then I came up with my first story. And it was something like this. Tell it. It's like this. I'm going to pretend that you're all kids in this class for a second. So Beth, just excuse that. I might talk a little bit differently. But... Okay, sometimes you'll be walking around, right? You'll be walking around, and something will catch your eye. Now it happens. It happens to everyone. You'll be walking around, and suddenly something will catch your eye. Now what do you do when that happens? We might take a closer look. And then you might bring whatever it is that catches your eye back here. So sometimes you'll be walking around and something will catch your eye. You might take a closer look at that thing and pick it up and bring it back here. Okay, now go out and see if something catches your eye. You know, it's a very simple story, right? Very, very simple. It's almost like a pre-story or something like that. But that was the first one I used. And then I would say, okay, go out and bring something back that's caught your eye. And then kids would go out and they'd pick something up and they'd bring it back. And then I'd ask them, okay, so where does it go? Where does it go? And then I'd, they'd say, oh, it goes here. Okay, put it. okay, go and find something else that catches your eye. So I was basically facilitating this, this sort of departure for something of interest a return with that thing of interest, and then you put it down, right? 
And then the story continues. Okay, so sometimes you're walking around and you pick something up that's caught your eye and then you bring it back and then it's part of something. Yeah? It's part of something that everyone's working on together. Oh, okay, so that's what I'm doing. I'm going and getting things, I'm bringing them back, and other people are doing that same thing, and all together we're making something of which we're all part. That's kind of what we're doing. So you can see how these, these things, they start to get philosophical quite quickly. But anyway, that's what I started doing. And then I just started building these, like, you know, it went, it went in all different kinds of places, making little clay sculptures and everything like this. And it's just like continually doing this process of being interested, bringing that thing back, putting it somewhere that was part of something. Alright. It was around that time that I started getting really interested in like human psychology and particularly interested in, in two domains of human psychology, which is phenomenology and psychosocial development. And the reason why I was really interested in those things is because there's an idea within phenomenology which is something like That which you experience in the world is not different from yourself. It's something like that. So it's like, it's like, it's like the, the reason why you're interested in something is, has as much to do with you as it does with the thing that you're interested in. And in some sense, that thing relates to you in a way that's part of your psychology. Right? Well, that's a phenomenal idea, obviously. It's from phenomenology. But... So then there's, this, and then there's this idea in psychosocial development, which is like, and if you combine these two things, and I won't get too much into this, but you can basically think about it like this. The process of your development as an individual is a process of going out, finding things that you're interested in, and then bringing them back. That's what you're doing. Or it's one way to look at what you're doing. Yeah? And so if you can get good at that process, then you can proceed along your development. Okay, that's a cool idea. Or at least I thought so. Maybe you think it's cool too. Okay. So what I realized was, is what I was getting the kids to do, I was getting them to act out community because that's what community does as well. It's like people are doing things and then they kind of bring them back and then they're building something together. But I was also getting them to act out the process by which they were developing. And that was really, really cool. So then I started to think about this... Then the next layer of this, and we're going somewhere, just bear with me, I hope this is interesting so far, but the next layer of this is the following. Okay, when you're born, right, yeah, your development is a process of going out, gathering things that you're interested in, bringing them back, and kind of building yourself. But the thing is that you don't start with nothing, yeah? You arrive in something already. And that's a profound idea. Because when you go out and gather things and bring them back, you're putting them in something that's already kind of had some time to be built, right? And part of that is like your biology, and part of that is your culture. And so you're actually not starting from zero, which is really interesting. And so I started to think, well, well, what does that mean? What does it mean if I'm, if, I, if I'm acting out this process, but actually there's something that I'm contributing to which is not simply me? Well, well, then what is it? What am I contributing to? And, then, and the answer to that question is I'm contributing to that 
thing. I'm contributing to that culture, right? I might even like, if I think about myself in evolutionary terms, I'm contributing to that biology as well, in a way. I mean, that's much broader, but I'm definitely contributing to the culture. So I'm born into a culture, I go out, I find new things, I bring them back, and I, and I make my contribution, okay? That's it. That idea just about floored me for a number of months because at the same time I was grappling or wrestling and maybe some of you have had to do this in your own life, I'm sure. I was sort of wrestling with my own cultural roots and understanding what role they played in my own life, you know, and I was born into a very small, close-knit Jewish community and had a religious education and that world was too small for me, you know, in some sense. And I had to leave it. And at the time I was thinking like, well, did I, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, it's like, it's like, am I, am I that, am I this, am I that? You know, people ask these questions all the time, especially when they start to reflect on their cultures. It's like, so I was figuring all that out and I, this was a, came as a great relief to me to think about myself in this way. Because I thought, okay, yeah. There's this, well, I'm lots of things, and some of that is really, really old, and some of that belongs to my ancestors, and some of it is doesn't, and some of it belongs to people that I've met, and some of it belongs to people that I've never met, and some of it belongs to other cultures, and some of it belongs to ideas that might even be in conflict with some of the things that are already in this thing, but somehow I can build that whole thing together. You know, and it really worked for me. Okay, let's move along. Now, I really wanted to share this idea. That's basically it. I was like, whoa, this might be helpful to people. So I really wanted to share it. So that's when I wrote my second story. All right, so I'm gonna tell you this story as well. Hopefully. Yeah, all right. Now, I mentioned before that I was really interested in stories because they kind of are maps, yeah? So, and that's a way that you can, they're, they're, they're like the substructure of our experience because they simultaneously create a world and pathways through it. So they're in some sense like way less complicated than the world, but they're not entirely dissimilar to the world. So they're pretty good. They're like tools. So I decided to write a story about this. So I'm going to tell you this story and then we're going to move along. Okay, so the right way to think about when this story is set is to think about it as being set in a time before anyone who's ever lived can remember. Now, if you think about it, a time before anyone who's ever lived can remember is something like a dream. And that's also one way to think about this story. And maybe it's a good way to think about dreams too. They happened in a time before anyone who's ever lived can remember. And in this time before anyone who's ever lived can remember, there was a family. And in the family were some young people and some old people and some people in the middle. And they were all sitting around. Now, the family had some needs. They were hungry and they were thirsty and there were also people among them who were sick. And so they needed some things to take care of those needs. They needed food and water and medicine for the people among them who were sick. And they got all of those things from the bush around where they lived, of course. Well, that worked out really well. But 
It's very difficult to find things like food and medicine and water in the bush. It's not, it's not easy, if you've ever tried. And so the one thing that was really cool was that this family had a very special gift. And the special gift was that they could speak to birds. And that really helped. Because there was one bird in particular, and this bird's a white-bellied sea eagle, and this story comes from Centennial Parklands in Sydney, where there is a white-bellied sea eagle, and the white-bellied sea eagle comes to visit that park all the time, and the white-bellied sea eagle used to come to visit this family, and the white-bellied sea eagle's got really good eyes, and it flies around and looks for things like food and water and medicine, and it would come back to the family and it would say, this is how you find those things. And then the people knew. And that worked out really well, and that's how they did it. For a really long time. But over time, and for a number of different reasons, the family forgot how to speak to birds. That was a really big problem, because even though the white-bellied sea eagle would continue to come to visit and give its message, no one could understand. And so people started getting hungry, and people started getting thirsty, and people started getting sick. And all the while this bird was coming, but no one knew that it was trying to talk. Then someone in the uh, family had an idea. What if we got the bird to draw the message? Because in the time that they had forgotten how to speak to birds, they had learned other things. And one of the things that they had learned is how to draw. So this was a really good idea. And so the next time the bird came, they said, hey, white-bellied sea eagle, can you draw your message, please? And so the white-bellied sea eagle did that. And this is what the white-bellied sea eagle drew. It drew some arches for people. And around that, it drew some food and water and medicine in the homes of some of the different animals and some of the different plants. And then it drew these pathways that went to each of those things that the family could follow to find what they needed. It was a map. And around everything, the white-bellied sea eagle drew this boundary. And that was the boundary between what was known and what was unknown. Okay? And that's important. And that worked. Then one day, one little girl from the family felt that she needed to go on an adventure as you might have felt in your own lives. We're all here, so some of us have definitely adventured. And so she left the family and she went for a walk. She followed one of these trails and she went all the way past the food and water, past the plants, past the homes of the animals, all the way to the boundary. And then when she got to the boundary of what was known, she walked into the unknown. And as soon as she walked into the unknown, everything was different. All things she'd never seen or even imagined before were there. She kept walking, kept walking, kept walking until suddenly something happened. And what happened was the weather changed. Now, you've all been out in the bush and you all know that when the weather changes, everything looks different. Colours change completely, right? It's like, it's like you're in a different place and that's kind of what happened. It started getting really cloudy and really cold and all the colours changed and suddenly she realised she was somewhere where she's never been and she didn't know where to go. Yeah? And so she felt scared, of course. And so... The temperature was dropping and it was starting to rain and she was thinking, oh no, what am I doing? And she's lonely and scared. And just as she was at her most lonely and her most scared, she remembered something. What did she remember? She remembered the story of the white-bellied sea eagle. Now she didn't have a pen with her, so what she did was she cleared a space on the ground. And she gathered different things that she could find, like leaves and sticks and stones, and she used them to make the story. She made little people, she made trees and shrubs and homes of animals and she made food and water and medicine and then she used a stick and she drew a path from the centre of that circle all the way out 
to follow where she had walked until she drew that path all the way to where she was, to where she was standing. Now then she knew where she was. And so the boundary changed. And she followed that path all the way home. And when she got home, she told everyone what had happened to her. Oh, I got lost and then I remembered this, <coughs> remembered this old story and I followed the story and helped me get home. And what do you think everyone did? Of course, everyone celebrated, right? Of course, of course, because that's what you do when that happens, because you know that something's passed on to the next generation. And so everyone celebrated. And, and now she had a story that she told. And that's really cool. Okay, so that's the story. Okay, so when I told this story, I felt like I had captured this thing and it really works. I used to tell it to kids in the bush, in this bush school, I was running this bush school and I was telling this story and it's really good because it's the kind of story that you can act out and kids would, you know, remember this bird and every time they saw the bird they'd be connected to it and so there was something in that and then they were also kind of acting out this process which is what I was most interested in because that's an important process. Now, I also realised in telling this story is, and this is, I suppose, I suppose the thing that the thing that's most interesting about this story to me, at least at the time, was well, what did the bird actually say? You know, because in some sense, what the bird is giving the the, the, the girl in this story is uh, is the information she needs to get home. It's the way home. It's the way home. And if you think about it, right, this process that you're all engaged in all the time of picking up things that you're interested in and bringing them back and trying to build yourself, well, it's like, what are you trying to build? And I think what you're trying to build is something like home. I think so. I think home is, is you know, it's something that we're always looking for something that we're always building, somewhere that we always come back to. It's the baseline of our survival needs, shelter, right? It's like maybe it's home, maybe that's also where we're going, you know? And that's a really old idea too. I've got that in my culture, I'm sure it's in other people's cultures. It's like, that's where you're going, you're going home. But here's the bad news. Home's not a place. Yeah? Home's not a place. It's a way. It's the way home. But here's the good news. If you go in the direction of home, then you have found your place. Yeah? I mean, that... That'll just get you right where you need it. <laughs> but it's true. It's like... Because it's like, that's also what we're all doing, right? We're all displaced. Yeah? We're all trying to figure out how we fit in. We're all trying to find our place. And it's like, well, maybe your place is not a place. Maybe it's a way. Oh, phew. <laughs> but maybe there's something else 
And this is even more frightening. Well, maybe that wasn't frightening. This is frightening. Here's the frightening part of this story. You have a place. You might think, well, that's not frightening. That's a relief. No, it's not a relief. It's frightening because it means you have to take it. It means you have to take your place. It means you have a responsibility. And your responsibility is to engage in this process. Because you're important. You're part of something, right? Something that everyone's contributing to. And if you don't take your place, then there's something missing from that. And so it's the responsibility of you to go in your own way to play your part and take your place. And as a facilitator of young people, it's our responsibility to help them to do that. Yeah? It's it's our responsibility to help them to engage in that process. Because they have a place. Okay. So, then I got to the point where I got all of this together and I was like, okay, got something now. And now I have, now you have, now you, basically these are all ideas, right? So, um, but, I mean, I've tested them out in my life and like, I've seen them around and they seem to be pretty good and I want to give them to kids. And so how do you give an idea to kids? We've already discussed that. You give them some kind of story and you get them to act it out. Okay. You need a way of acting these things out. That's how you learn them. And the best way to do that is to do it artificially. Because it's too difficult to act this out in the real world. The real world is way too complicated and dangerous. And so you need to create an artificial environment in which to act it out. And so there's two ways that I can tell that are artificial environments that are conducive to acting some of these processes out. And those are games and art. Okay? So games are really good because they have rules. And if people break the rules, then they can be ejected from the game. They're also really good because even though they have rules and the same thing doesn't happen every time, so that's good, and people have to play them, so they have to do it, and then, we're going, are we okay? We've got about five minutes to go. No, yeah, no. Okay. Fine. Okay, so then they have to play them, right? So, so games are good. It just happens to be that my thing is doing it with the art. Okay, maybe that's your thing. Maybe you're more interested in games. Some people are more interested in games. Some people are interested in art. It doesn't really matter. But I'm really interested in art. So I really wanted to act this out with a bunch of kids. Okay. So I'm going to see if we can do this part. Alright. So that's when I did uh, this project. You, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you where you can find more information about this project. But... So I've already explained that what, that what I realised was that the bird was saying the way home. And the way home is a process, and the process is something like going out and getting things and bringing them back and then building something, and that thing is important and it has a place. Now, as a person, right, taking our place also means um, somehow saying what we need to say. Okay? So we need to make our contribution. So I developed this project, and I did this project with a whole primary school in Sydney uh, called Nicholson Street Public, and the project was as follows. The idea of the project was to build an orchestra out of recycled materials and record an album of music um, with some musicians, uh, Australian contemporary musicians. So that's the project. It happened over six weeks, and... um, Basically what I did over six weeks is I 
articulated the way home into a series of steps and then I gave those steps to the children one at a time and then along the road of that those steps they enacted the process so one of the first things that they did was they had to make a sound map of their school environment so you might have done that with kids before it's a really fun activity but it, it enacts this process it's like you go out you find a sound you first you draw a picture of where you are you, you mark yourself, you go out, you find a sound, you come back, you put that sound on the map, yeah? And basically you, you can do that, you can do it with found sounds or you can do it with made sounds, but you basically build a sound map of your environment, okay, so then they're acting that out. Then I did the same thing, but instead I did it with like materials. So it's like, go out, choose different materials, bring them back, and then they were working as groups and they were building on these columns these things of which they were all part, yeah? And those things had all the things that they were interested in on them. These instruments, they looked like that when they were finished and they were played by six people at a time because this was 175 kids, you know? So couldn't have them each have their own individual instrument. Six people played an instrument, but it was something that they, of which they were all part. And then when they played it, that was their voice. They made their sound, right? And so then we recorded an album, and that's the album, and you can listen to it. Uh, it's, it's great. It's really, really great, I, if I do say so myself. <laughs> it really is. Hey, I didn't make the music, so I can say it, but it's their music. Um, but basically, I enacted this process. Okay. I've got a couple of minutes to go, so I'll just get to the end of this. Okay. So once I'd done this project, I then had a blueprint for this method, The Way Home. And then I went out to Ireland because... I wanted to find out, well, like, firstly, I'm really interested in maps, and as you probably have gathered, and, and well, I was just, I'm just really interested in the way that, well, okay, also, a story that is a map and also a way through, if you think about that as a song, then that's a song line, and so I'm really interested in this idea of song lines and how they translate into maps and how that translates into images. And like, where else are you going to find a better example of that than like our backyard and the, and the, and the wonderful work that's been done here over tens of thousands of years in like developing those ideas, right? So, so I went out to Arnhem to try and learn more about how that might happen. And that was a really cool experience because what I found out was that if I could articulate this, this process correctly, then it it worked there. And that's important because if something works in, with as many different people as possible, then you know you've got something maybe that's real. Mm -hmm. It's like, otherwise how do you know? It's like you've got to test it. So I did that and then I did a project out there. One of the things that's really interested to go out and find and be interested in, in Gapuya, which is where I was, is plastic bottles. So we gathered up heaps of plastic bottles and gathered up stories from all the kids and things that they were interested in and built a map of their interests onto a fish sculpture. Which is pretty cool. And then we had a festival and made that sculpture up. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so just acting this out, you know, all the time. And, uh, yeah, this is the last thing, I think. Um, and then I went over and uh, did, it, did it in Mexico um, as part of an art educator's residency out there to try and see if it would work with university students because they're a bit more in... Some, yeah, something. <laughs> well, what I found out is that is that what I found out is that they speak a totally different language 
like the, that generation. And it's like, mm. they understand, like, they just speak a digital language. It's, it, it blew me away. And so I, it was, that was a really important encounter because it's like, how are you gonna get people to do this if, as languages change, as environments change? It's like the, the, the environment shifts. What you have can't be environment dependent, right? Then you've got nothing. Because that, that's, like, that's like sand. So it has to be beneath the environment. So I tried it out with them. Listen is one of the steps. I'm not gonna go into what the steps are. But... And here's what came out. They just did it in the digital world. <laughs> it was crazy, right? It's like they went out, the things that they were interested in were like, were like places and sounds and all this stuff. I got them to do the sound mapping just like that. And then they brought them back, but then instead of creating something that was like in the world, they created something that was like, in another world, and some of that was, was augmented reality, right? Like a 360 degree photograph, and some of it was, this is augmented reality as well. This, this is, an, they developed an app where they took photos of places in space, and then they went out, and you can take your phone up to those photographs, and then an animation happens on you. It's crazy. <laughs> and then some people were still old school and wrote a poem. So that was nice. <laughs> but, that's, but it was amazing, right? Because, because I've gone out and I'm saying to everyone, here, go, everyone, do the same thing. That's what I'm basically saying. It's like, hey, everyone, do this. And everyone comes out with something different. Right? And that's what you want because everyone's got their place, right? So that was just so cool. And then we had this exhibition. And what I found out after that exhibition, this is the last thing I'll share with you. I'm sorry, I've taken up a bit more of your time than I intended to. But... The last thing I'll share with you is this, and this is something that I couldn't have learned unless I did this at university level because I could actually survey the kids afterwards and find out what their experience was like. And this is something I'm, I'm super grateful about and this is kind of where I'm heading next with this work, is put it this way, one way to understand anxiety is to think about it as a feeling of separateness. Yeah? To think about it as a feeling of not belonging to what's going on. That's one way to think about anxiety, and I think it's a pretty good way. Well, if you can articulate a way home... <laughs> right? then maybe you have a tool that can be an antidote to anxiety. Because maybe you can take someone that's like, oh, I don't belong in this experience, to like, yeah? Maybe, it's possible. Huh? That was the experience of these students. They, this, the, the activity, two things happened. The activity brought up anxiety, and then they were able to Navigate it. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And so that's where I'm, in, that's where I'm interested in taking this next. Because now I'm working in a, a clinical environment. And so it's like, okay, how can I take this into like a work on an individual basis? And I hope that is interesting and meaningful to you. That's it. Thank you very much. Thank you.